Welcome to the Nobody Told Me That podcast. My name is Teresa Duncan, and my goal is to share information that you probably weren't thinking about. I love preparing my friends for situations that may come completely out of the blue. I also want to share with you many of the tidbits I picked up over the years. If you absolutely have to tune out before the end of the show, make sure you check out the show notes for more details and information on today's topic. And thank you so much for making me a part of your day. For this episode, I'd like to share with you a conversation that I had with a very good friend of mine who is an office manager out in Colorado, and he manages his wife's practice and does it very well, by the way. They are booming, booming, booming. And one of our talking points was imagine not seeing terrible patients. Imagine that you actually liked all of your patients and you were really excited to see them on a day in, day out basis. Well, for the most part, you're, you're probably thinking, well, yeah, I, I do love my patients. I'm talking about all of your patients. Imagine giving yourself the freedom to cut out any patient that you really don't like. So from an owner point of view, it's hard to dislike paying patients, but there are those, we all know it, where if we cut them out of our lives, we certainly wouldn't miss it one bit. In fact, your professional life would probably be even better. Everybody would be much happier getting rid of some really bad apples. Well, let's think about it this way. Do you have any bad apples? I like to call them the squeaky wheels, the ones who tend to give us lots of problems, who like to give us, you know, pushback on anything we recommend and they're questioning everything and and they're actually rude. So my big pet peeve is people not being polite, not being graceful. I believe in treating people very nicely unless they show me a reason otherwise. But these people tend to show you that all of the time. Why are we dealing with them? Imagine again, not seeing terrible patients. You know, we tend to remember these situations because of an emotion that they provoke. So for example, what provokes your high emotion in your mind? So when it comes to patients, the ones who provoke very high emotions for me are the ones that made me laugh, the ones that I had deep belly laughs with because they were just hilarious or there was a certain inside joke that we had. You know how it goes. Then there were the ones that you felt very strongly for, the passionate ones. I'm not talking passionate in that way. I'm talking about you really were invested in their healing. You were doing big cases on them and you were thinking, I can't wait to see this person smile. We had that a bunch at my old office. We were doing implant uh, services and we were just, I mean, he was just beautiful with his artwork, which was his dental work. And it was exciting to see patients go from not healthy or somewhat healthy to really healthy with big, beautiful smiles. That's the kind of passion that I'm talking about. So what else provokes high emotion? Stress, stress, anger, that kind of things. I bet what comes to mind for you when I say that are a handful of patients. Now, if you just started out, hopefully you just have one or two. Actually, I just hope you have one or two. But you know, when you've been in it many, many years, like I have, you have a lot. I can kind of run through them. And we had several uh, look different locations. So I had my list from uh, each office and didn't like them for different reasons. But the one thing that I remember about all of them is that they stressed me out. When I saw their name on the list, it was not, it was not good times. You know, the morning huddle was more of, oh, he's coming back again. And, you know, then we would say, don't say, don't talk about this because he gets very sensitive. And 
there was one patient I'll share with you. There was one patient that wouldn't let me work on him. This is back when I was assisting. I think I shared before that I wasn't the greatest assistant, which is why I moved up to the front, but I wasn't a bad assistant. I was, I was passable. I could have worked for any of your offices and done okay in it. However, we had a day and I will call him Jay. And <laughs> on that day, we had nothing but upper left crowns. Number 14, number 15, number 13, number 14, number 15. We had a day of upper left crowns, except for Jay's. Jay's was upper right. So big old number two, I should have seen it on the schedule. So after some small talk, I approached him and I had the numbing gel in my hand. And what did I do? Because I'd been doing this all day, I put it on number 14, number 15 in that area. Well, he knew he wasn't supposed to come in for that side and he rightly called me out for it. There wasn't just the end of it. I mean, I, I apologize. I felt so bad. And the doctor, you know, these things happen. At least I wasn't the one holding the needle. There was all sorts of jokes to be had. And then I left the room to go and get something after he got him numb. And Jay turned to my doctor and said, I don't want her working on me ever again. So that was a little devastating. So, okay, I can get it. I, it's fine. I don't get my feelings hurt that badly. However, Jay had a way. Every time he came in, he had to mention that I was not to work on him, that I was not to even be in the room with him. So now, as you can imagine, Jay is my person that caused the most stress because I would see him on the schedule and I would say, okay, here we go again. And if there was anybody new at the huddle, then we had to go over it again and we had to explain why does Jay not want to work with Teresa? And of course, everybody had a good laugh at my expense, which is fine. It always you know, gave some levity to the meeting. But I had to deal with Jay because by that time I would moved up front and then I had to deal with him collecting money and all of that kind of stuff. No, I didn't like it. Jay is my uh, high emotion provoker. You can see I remember almost everything about those interactions because of the amount of stress that he's put me through. So think about it. How many patients do you have where this kind of anxiety comes out of nowhere? And you think to yourself, gosh, I haven't even seen them in years and they still get me stressed out. So what if that person or type of person comes in all of the time? So this is why my friend and I, I'll call him Kay. This is why my friend and I were talking about it and we were thinking, gosh, why can't we just have an office full of patients that we love all of the time? I said that and he said, well, you know, we do. And, and he went on to tell me about how they have a philosophy in their office, which I think is phenomenal. They have a philosophy in which they only see patients that they really, really like. So how do you do that? Because, you know, some patients turn evil after they've been there a while. You know, they get horns and everything. As soon as you start asking them for more money, then they want to pay you. All sorts of reasons why patients can go bad, right? So when patients go bad, sounds like a, a really bad uh, episode of some sitcom. What they do is every year they take a look at how many patients really, really bother them. And they cull they remove a small percentage of patients per year. They make a decision that, you know, they're not going to waste a lot of time and effort on these patients. And, you know, they're just going to kind of forget about them as patients. Now, that doesn't mean they're abandoning them. That just means if the patient calls, yes, they're going to schedule them, but they're not going to go out of their way to get the patients in the door, you know, unless something's wrong. Of course, I'm not saying that they leave somebody high and dry with a half-finished root canal. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the recare appointment where, you know, in the morning huddle, somebody is going to joke, why did we call them back again? Why can't we just lose their number? 
And we joke about it, but you know what? This office does it. They don't schedule them. They don't go out of their way to schedule them. They remove the reminders about them. And if they come in, they come in, but they're not going to waste time and energy trying to get them to schedule. Those patients are actually pretty hard to schedule anyways, because your stress level calling them or trying to get them by email, it's a pain. And I have other patients that kind of pop to mind on this too. So I know exactly what he's talking about. They also, as a team, understand that happy patients means happy workday, means happy staff, happy office. So the admin team is taught and they agree, all of them them agree to this because they have the same philosophy. They are allowed to screen patients on the phone. He has lots of trust in them because he's worked with them, trained them. And he knows that if they decide not to schedule a patient or if they refer them to somebody else, he's not going to question them on that because he knows that they know the philosophy of the practice. And if he goes and listens to the recordings, I'm, I don't know if he has recordings or not, but if he were to go to listen to the recording, I would imagine that he'd be okay with it too. So what am I talking about? Doctors are like, what on earth could they say on the phone that would make you not want to schedule them? Well, you know, sometimes people are just really, really rude on the phone. They're snapping at you. And yes, I know that people can have bad days and all of that, but there's just, you know, why do we have to deal with it? Why do we have to take it? You know, most of the time when a patient's been a wackadoo on the phone, they've been a wackadoo in real life. I mean, that is, that's how people are. Let them show you who they are because they will every time. So when they are talking to the person on the phone, let me just give you a couple reasons why I would consider not necessarily calling this person back. This is somebody who has lots and lots of questions about the billing. Maybe they are just grilling you. They want to know the fee of every procedure code that's going to be used. This is a high maintenance person. And I appreciate that she needs a dental home. He or she needs a dental home, but it doesn't necessarily need to be your home. Think about the labor cost dealing with somebody like this. It's huge. I know because I've had to deal with people like that. I'm not saying it's wrong for a patient to want to know the ins and the outs of their bills. I absolutely champion that. And I'm a big believer in giving them correct estimates, all of that. If you've been listening to me, you know all of this. What I'm not a big fan of is a patient driving you crazy, taking up extra time. And from right off the bat, they're showing you that's how it's going to be. So that might be a reason why I don't call somebody back or refer them out to whomever I'm going to refer them. I'm also going to take a listen to tone. If this person is extremely rude with me, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that because that person's going to be extremely rude with everyone in the office. And, you know, a lot of times we know that when a patient's rude to the team, they're sweet as pie to the dentist. I know that. We've seen it. We've all seen it. And honestly, who needs that kind of stuff, right? And then there's also some patients that just kind of give off a creepy vibe. And I can't really explain that one. I think once you've been doing this a long time, you get that. And, you know, this might be even a person who comes in for their initial evaluation and everybody has a bad feeling about them. Maybe they were abusive at the front. Maybe they were lying about things. Maybe they just, maybe they just gave you an uneasy feeling. Well, I've learned over the years to trust my gut. If something's wrong with a patient, I'm pretty good at figuring out this is going to be a problem patient. My boss is the same way now too. We just know it's been this way. And now the manager who's taken my place, she's got that same sixth sense. I think you just have to develop over a while after dealing with so many, my favorite word, wackadoos out there. I know that you're going to build up your tolerance of these people. I just hope that I kind of shorten the learning curve for you a little bit. 
So imagine your most annoying patient and imagine that person not being there. This is what I'm trying to get to. So doctors, yes, we can tell who's going to be a pain on the phone. We can tell who's scared on the phone. We can tell who really is nervous about coming in because they haven't come in in a long time. We can tell that on the phone because we've heard it, we've heard it, we've heard it. And that is actually one of the beauties of being an administrative staff member. So you really do get that intuition. You know, in the back, you guys have that same intuition, but it's for totally different reasons. Now, let's go back to Kay's office and how he, you know, chops off a percentage of his patients and he's okay with the admin team, you know, having that kind of discretion. And that calling at the end of the year, I imagine, involves that same discretion where they come together and they think, oh, you know what? Mm -mm, No, this person... As a team, you probably all look to each other and you're like, no, this person can go. I'm, I'm not going to be upset if we lose this person. So I'm not saying here, and I, I kind of, now that I'm talking about this, I, I'm thinking it sounds like I want every patient to be the perfect patient, to be nice and, you know, every situation is rosy and, and everybody's happy. That's not going to happen. You're always going to have disagreements. You're always going to have a little bit of suspicion on patients' parts because they're worried about the fee and the treatment that's recommended. However, that's normal. That's normal interaction between doctor, patient, team member, and patient. I'm really referring to the ones that you know are going to be 90% of the time, they're going to be the biggest problem patient of that day. Just again, imagine life without, I'm thinking about life without Jay. It would have been much nicer. I wouldn't have been all stressed out on the days he was going to come. Also, he would bring in his wife. So every time his wife came, he had to sit in my waiting room and he would just stare at me. So there's that. So not only when he came in, but when his wife came in and it's all because I was so caught up in the day and I wasn't careful. I own that, but come on, dude, you don't need to stare at me all day in the waiting room. Okay. So as you can see, I'm still really traumatized by uh, this patient. So let's think about this. And one of the thoughts that I had was, well, you know, when you have a big patient base and you're busy and, you know, COVID's happen and you're trying to keep the cash flow going, and here I am telling you to dump some patients. Well, if you listen to it till the end, you'll see that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying dump all the patients. I'm saying dump the ones you don't like. So how can you make this change? Well, first of all, I would love for you to make a commitment to yourself and to your team, whether you're owner, doctor, manager, make a commitment to stop bending over backwards for your patients. And before you say, well, I don't do that, you usually do. Most people do. I did. I did. I remember when I first started as a receptionist, I would schedule all the way through lunch because I felt so bad for people. And my doctor had to say, you know, I need to eat. And I was like, oh, geez, I totally forgot about that. You know, after three days in a row of me listening to people's sob stories and having them come in, you know, he's a patient dude, my doctor, but my goodness. We all bend over backwards at some point for our patients because that's the kind of provider and industry that we're in. We're caring. We love people and we want to take care of them, right? So of course you bend over backwards. Maybe as you get older, you don't bend over as much. So here's what I want you to think about. How many times have you stayed late for a patient that you really disliked? How many times has something gone on on the weekends and you get this page from a patient that you know isn't going to appreciate it And even if you did agree to see them at the office, there's a pretty big chance that they're just not going to show up. How many times do you have to listen to a patient ask you for a courtesy over and over and over again, even though that patient knows that they're making you very, very uncomfortable? This is what I'm talking about. We tend to bend over backwards for patients, even though 
They don't appreciate it. And quite frankly, it's unnecessary. So we tend to think that if we don't do this for this patient, they're going to go slamming and screaming out the door and we'll never see them again. And and they're going to tell everybody. And in this day and age, that would mean taking out a billboard, talking about how bad you are and doing all of these reviews. You know, it's not, it's not quite that simple anymore. Patients, yes, they may complain, but their most, most common way of, of complaining is going to be online. They're not going to go from business to business protesting you. You know, that just doesn't really happen. So what I see often is that we're letting the reviews hold us hostage. Are you letting your Google, Yelp reviews, Facebook reviews hold you hostage? You might, actually. And I I think it would be a very rare bird right now that did not feel this way because the sentiment has become, it's so easy for them to bash us on our Facebook page. Then what's that going to look like to other patients? So I have gone to very many big companies, gone to look at their reviews, and I expect there's going to be one or two Maybe if it's a huge company, I'm going to see a small percentage of reviews that aren't great. Like think about when you go to a a product for Amazon. If there's one or two and then there's 40 good reviews and there one or two are really bad, I'm really not going to pay attention to those one or two. And I need us to be more confident in that. Also, there's ways of negating that review. And I'm not an expert on this. I want you to talk to somebody like Rita Zamora who's a social media maven and she knows all about what, you know, what you can and can't do. And you could always leave a response that is just graceful and just civil. And it doesn't make you look like you're saying, you know, well, you were a terrible patient too, even though that's what you want to say. Don't worry so much about reviews. Now, if you're getting them piled up over time, yes, that's something to consider. But you as a doctor are going to get a bad review a couple times in your career. That is okay. It is okay. And quite frankly, before we had these Google and Facebook and online reviews, people would be unhappy and they'd just go home and they'd still be just unhappy. We weren't worried about that because there really wasn't that many visible consequences to it. But now that we can see immediately how unhappy they are, it bothers us more. I understand. However, if you're letting reviews hold you hostage, then you're always going to be practicing defensively. My only reason for practicing defensively in any situation is having malpractice on the mind, right? But even then, we try to not make that rule how we do our services because that's how you end up with tons of unnecessary tests and all of that. You can look to the medical community for that. That's the reason why a lot of different tests are ordered because there's a, a cover year A, a CYA mentality where you don't want to have, be that one doctor that didn't order that one test that would get you into trouble. Dentists really, honestly, I wouldn't practice that defensively. Get your game to a level where you're always, always above the bar and your documentation is stellar, not just documentation at clinical stuff. You know, I love to talk about that till I'm blue in the face. I'm talking about the documentation of verbal exchanges, email exchanges, text exchanges between the patient and you, the doctor or manager and the team. I'm just going to divert a little bit from the perfect patient or the happy patient and just do a little bit of talking about documentation of the admin team. So one thing that I notice, and, and this is pretty much in every office that I've worked for or consulted in, I have noticed that there's really not a lot of documentation on the admin side. And it's not necessarily because they were, you know, bad about it or anything. It just hadn't been brought home to them how important it is. So if a patient is continually canceling their appointment, 
I need a record of that because it shows in case anything comes up that the patient wasn't as invested in their care as we were. I would like to know if the patient got upset about their bill. I would like to know if the patient raised their voice and made threats. I would like to know if the patient is wanting information about like care credit or something like that. And then there's no follow-up where we, you know, sent anything to them. Maybe we bring that up again. When a patient calls on the phone to cancel, we need to note that, not just, you know, remove them from the schedule. We'd like to keep track of that. Cancellations and missed appointments to me are a clinical note. And I know this is a point of contention, but I firmly believe that if a patient misses their appointment or cancels their appointment and they give you the reason, do you believe that it needs to be in the chart because that affected patient care. It affected the ability to deliver patient care. They weren't coming in for it. You don't need to mention that they were broke or you know anything like that unless they say that is the exact reason. Then I think that's definitely a clinical note. You know, patient was concerned with finances and would like to delay treatment. That delay treatment part is is an, is a clinical note. However, on the phone, we tend to talk to people and then hang up and go to the next phone call. It's a big change. I can tell you that when I started documenting my administrative exchanges, it was a pain. I didn't like it, but I was at a point where there was too much happening. And I found that if me and this team, if we were not documenting these exchanges, if we were not writing down what the patients told us, we were doing double work. We were asking patients questions, even though they had given us the answer. It just didn't look good. So go ahead, try to record your administrative actions, whatever it is in your software that you think is a good place. You just need to find a place where everybody knows where it is and start recording any interaction that you have with the patient. You know, the clinicians have to do that and we have to do that. Insurance coordinators have to do that. It usually goes on the claim so we can follow up. It just makes sense that patient attitude and patient interaction should also be documented. There are a ton of loonies out there. And wouldn't you like to know and warn people in your office that, you know, hey, heads up, this person had a lot of questions. This person was a little skeptical when I said this. They're internal notes, right? You know, there is a point where all records are going to be, you know, disclosed to the patient. I know there's some new HIPAA rules in effect to that. And I'm I'm not clear on that yet. So I'll just say that at the time of this recording, I'm still investigating. But for right now, we really can make those internal notes but you don't even have to make it snarky. I mean, how can they argue with the fact that patients said they couldn't get out of their driveway to make it to the appointment? That's not snarky. That is documenting what actually happened. I have no, no issues with that. Okay. Talked about, you know, making sure that you are going to have a new resolution, that you're going to make a commitment to stop bending over backwards for patients. You are going to start promising yourself that you're going to attract more good patients because you're going to empower yourself and your team to repel these patients that, you know, would probably give you a little bit of heartburn. So let's talk about your awesome patients because that's something to focus on. How many awesome patients do you have? So in the morning meeting, the daily review, whatever you call it, how many times have you seen somebody on the schedule and like, oh, you know, I need to ask them, how did that wedding go? Or how did their cruise go? Or I want to ask them if their child's in that school and You know, you have a lot in common with your patients. I know it. We had lots of intimate conversations with our patients. So you're the same way. So if you're excited to see somebody on the schedule, have you ever said that to them? Have you ever said to them, I saw your name on the schedule. It's exciting that you're coming in. I couldn't wait to tell you. I couldn't wait to see you or stop by. If you're not actually seeing them, maybe they're in the hygiene room and you're an assistant. You could stop by and say, I heard you were here. I just wanted to pop over and say hi. 
those are the patients we need to keep happy and we need to attract more of those. It's not hard to tell awesome patients how awesome they are. And in fact, I think we should be doing it much more. So make a big deal when you see a patient you truly enjoy, make a big deal of them in the office. You know, one tip that I'll give to you is when you have patients who travel a long ways, longer than your average patient, or maybe you've changed offices and they followed you every now and then, you know, just stop, look them in the eyes, solid contact through your face shield and through all of your beekeepers outfits and all of that. And tell them, I'm really thankful that you're still my patient. It's been a long time you've been a patient. I just want to tell you that I'm thankful for that. Does that sound really hokey? Well, if it's the first time you say it, yeah, it's going to sound weird. But I'm in the habit of thanking people who I'm grateful to in my life. And it comes out a lot easier. So maybe that's something to change. Maybe we start saying thank you for the good things we have instead of worrying and you know complaining about the ones that, that are the annoyances in our lives. And we go in cycles. Sometimes the, the loonies get the best of us, but for the most part, we're surrounded by pretty decent people. So in closing, you know, I, I talked a little bit about this. I know it's not a full episode for you, but I thought it was really important to share how Kay runs the practice and everybody's on board. You know, he's not a dictator. He's got a good practice going. And what really brought home to me was, you know, we're so worried about what our patients think that we forget whose practice it is. And I'm not even an owner in my, my old boss's practice, but I felt like I was an owner. And so I forgot whose practice it really is. I can't do a good job if I'm really like cursing this person under my breath, right? Just let them find another dental home. You're not going to miss them. You know, as we were saying to each other, Kay and I were saying to each other, you know, I wish other offices would realize they could do this too. And I realized that this conversation may help you to make that resolution and move forward with that resolution. Tell whomever you think needs to hear it in your office, tell them to listen to this podcast and see if they're on the same page. I imagine when we were talking about this, I imagine that we had a sign. Have you ever been in these, these workplaces where it says we've had uh, zero work days or 300 work days since their last accident? So imagine a sign in your office that says it has been this many days since we've had to deal with a terrible patient. And I'd love to see like a 300, 400, 500 days in there because what I want us to get to is a place where instead of saying and expecting, oh, here comes this you know, rude behavior from this patient, I would love it to be where you're surprised by a patient's rude behavior because that's not the norm for you. Where somebody who is just a terrible patient and they're out there, when they talk to you and they deal with you in a certain way, you go, it's been a long time since I've had to deal with somebody like this. That's what I would like. That's what I hope your future is like. So don't be afraid to cull the bad people out of your practice. There are tons of patients out there. They will get replaced. And honestly, I'd rather you have some dead time in your office than deal with just being annoyed and cursing and not looking forward to this patient all day. Life's too short to deal with terrible patients. I need to put that on a slogan or something like that. So again, I am hopeful that this is what your future is going to be like. And as always, I appreciate that you're listening to me. I'm always looking for topics. If you have anything that you'd like to hear my thoughts on, shoot me an email. There's a, a contact form or send me an email at Teresa at odysseymgmt.com. You can find me on Facebook. I mean, you guys know how to find me. So let me know if there's anything you'd like to hear about. I'm kind of liking these little solo conversations where I can just tell you 
how I screwed up and how I can help you instead of screwing up like I can. Life is hard. And again, life is too short to deal with terrible patients. Dear listeners, thank you so much for spending your time with me. We're all super busy. So thank you for making time for me today. The show notes will have any links that we referenced in this episode. You can also find links for my book and for my live events and webinar schedule. I speak often around the country on management and insurance issues. Come hang out with me in one of my classes. I promise you'll laugh and learn.